beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't work to start in the middle of a story. You can't begin reading a novel halfway and make sense of what is happening. You won't understand why people are doing the things that they choose to do. Similarly, you can't start watching a movie halfway through and make sense of what's going on. It's hard to figure out people's motivations when you don't know the backstory. Sometimes you walk into a room when people are in the middle of a discussion. It's difficult to participate and say things that are appropriate without knowing what's already been said. In the coming weeks, we're going to celebrate Christmas, uh, the coming of Jesus Christ in human flesh. But if you start with the baby being born in Bethlehem, you're starting in the middle of the story, and there will be things that don't make any sense. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Why did the angels sing their celebratory songs? Why were the shepherds' hearts filled with fearful anticipation? Why did Simeon and Anna rejoice at the presentation of Jesus in the temple? Why did the wise men come from so far away to inquire about the birth of the Christ? Why was Herod so panicked? He killed all the baby boys around Bethlehem. It is hard to make sense of all that happens around the birth of Jesus if you don't know the backstory. This morning, I want to trace with you the roots of the story about the birth of Jesus Christ. This story begins in the heart of God. It is rooted in grief in the heart of God. It's something that we don't often consider. When we talk about man's rebellion and sin, we're more inclined to speak of God's anger But if God's actions were rooted in his anger against sin, he would have destroyed the earth and wiped out mankind. God didn't do that. Not when Adam and Eve rebelled against him. Not at the time of the flood, when the earth was filled with violence and wickedness. Not even when his own people Israel rejected him and turned away from him. Instead, God was deeply grieved. If you don't understand that grief in the heart of God, you will not understand the glory of a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. It's because of his compassionate heart that God sent his son to redeem us. We'll consider God's grief at our rebellion and wickedness, and God's compassion in determining to redeem us. Let's begin with what Genesis 6 tells us about God's response to the corruption and violence he saw on earth in the time prior to the flood. Genesis 6, 5 and 6 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually. 
And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Why was God's heart grieved? Why did he regret making man? These words indicate some kind of personal offense or betrayal. What has man done that is so significant that it brought tears to the heart of God? To understand God's grief, we need to remember that God is the creator of this world. He made the world and all that's in it. He made man in his own image and likeness as the crown of his creation. As creator of this world, God is its owner. It all belongs to him. When God evaluated the work of his creative hand, he said it was very good. But what did we do? We turned away from God and listened to the voice of the devil. We rebelled against God by doing what he expressly forbade. Man sinned and brought God's curse upon himself and all of creation. The effects of man's sin gets passed on through the generations. By the time of Noah, the people of God had intermarried with those who did not acknowledge God in their lives. They were led astray, following the ways of this world. When God looked down from heaven, he saw a stinking mass. God saw that the wickedness of man was great. How bad was it? All over the inhabited earth, there were people who were doing things that were evil in the sight of God. And that's not all. God, being God, can look further than just to people's outward actions. What did he see? God saw that every intention of the thoughts of these people's hearts was only evil continually. Their evil deeds came from corrupt hearts. Hearts that had no room for him, even though he had created them, and even though he was the one who provided them with every blessing that they enjoyed. Can you see, beloved, why God regretted the fact that he had created man? Can you understand God's grieving heart? I don't think you can understand God's grief properly unless you appreciate the connection between God and man. God's grief only makes sense in light of the fact that God's relationship with man is deeply personal. It's deeply relational. God created man in such a way that we would be able to know him. Plants and animals do not know God, and they cannot worship him. But that's different with people. God made himself known to Adam and Eve. He walked and he talked with them. He had a relationship with them. As human beings, we were created. We were hardwired to love God. Our love relationship with God shaped every part of us. Every thought and motive Every desire and decision, all our words and actions were God-directed. 
As first created, man recognized God's existence, his authority, his majesty, and his glory. Our nature was such that as people we chose to serve him with all of our time and energy. That's what we were created to do. We were made to love God, to live with him in eternal blessedness. Part of living with God and joy and unity is living according to his commands. Jesus has made this clear. In John 14, 15, he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John echoes this teaching in 1 John 5, verse 3, saying, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. When our hearts are God-directed, when we delight in doing the will of our Father in heaven, Let me repeat that. When our hearts are God-directed, we delight in doing the will of our Father in heaven. When you love someone, you want to serve them. You desire to please them. You find joy in their joy. It's how every human being who was ever given life and breath was meant to live. But with the fall into sin, much of that changed. We are still hardwired to love. But instead of being God-directed, our love is diverted elsewhere. Genesis 6, 5 makes it clear that some other love has claimed the hearts of human beings because we no longer delight in serving God or, finding, or find joy in pleasing Him. Our sinful hearts no longer recognize God's authority, His majesty and glory. So, What is it that has diverted our hearts away from loving God? Paul answers this question in 2 Corinthians 5. There he speaks about the reason why Jesus Christ had to come into this world. Paul says that Christ died for all, that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him for whose sake died and was raised. The reason God needed to send His Son into this world was to redeem and renew us so we might no longer live for ourselves. So what has taken the place of God in the human heart? Ourselves. Me, myself, and I. What has replaced man's hardwired love for God? Love of self. Why was every intention of the people's hearts only evil all the time? Because we pushed God aside and we put ourselves in the center. Instead of acknowledging God as creator and ruler over all, we want to be rulers over ourselves. I want to live life my way, by my own rules. We're obsessed with our own comfort and pleasure and happiness. Matthew 22 tells us about how the Jewish leaders asked Jesus questions to test him. One of them, a lawyer, asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, take the focus off of yourself and turn it back to God. Love God with your whole being. 
Besides this greatest commandment, Jesus added a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why does Jesus add those words, as yourself? Because he knows that our sinful hearts are self-directed. And by nature, I'm inclined to serve myself and do what pleases me. Can you understand, beloved, that God rejected that he had made man? Can you see why he was deeply grieved at our rebellion and wickedness? As creator, God loved the creatures he had made. The Bible speaks of God's continued care over all of creation. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. In verse 16, the psalmist says, You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that God makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. It's precisely because God cares so much that his heart is grieved. Now please consider with me what Hosea tells us about the Lord's relationship with his people Israel. Hosea 11 begins with the Lord saying, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The Lord's love for his people is evident from the beginning of Israel's birth as a nation. God saw his people languishing in Egypt. Out of his great love for them, he commissioned Moses to deliver them from slavery. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God forced Pharaoh to let them go by bringing horrible plagues on Egypt. He led them through the midst of the Red Sea, while Pharaoh and all his hosts drowned in the midst of it. God brought his people into the wilderness. He led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He helped them defeat their enemies on the way. He granted them all they had need of. He provided manna for their daily sustenance. He gave them water from the rock to drink. Their shoes did not wear out on the way. God defeated the nations that attacked them. He brought his people into the promised land. Through Hosea, the Lord speaks about how he expressed his love for his people in days of old. In Hosea 11, 3 and 4, the Lord reminisces about the childhood of his son Israel. He says, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by the arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. We have a picture of God, the Father, taking his son Israel by the hands, teaching him how to walk. We have a picture of a parent loving and nurturing his little boy, rejoicing in his development encouraging him in the right way. But how did Israel respond to the Lord's love and kindness? God's people rejected him. God's people rejected him. They turned away to serve other gods. Yet despite his people's stubbornness and rebellion, the Lord continued to love them. He put up with their grumbling in the wilderness. He rescued them again and again during the time of the judges. 
Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, the Lord remained faithful. But his people's actions grieved him. They grieved him deeply. Israel was not just any nation. These were God's own special people. They were the ones with whom he had established a special bond. Beloved, think about situations where a child turns away from his or her parents, even though they sincerely loved and cared for him or her. Think about when a husband or wife rejects their life's partner to begin a relationship with someone else. It is a betrayal of that person's love. And it hurts so very deeply. That's how the Lord experienced the unfaithfulness of his people. It grieved him immensely. Can you understand what happens when you sin against God? It's not just that you break some rules. It's not simply that you offend him. When we were created, we were hardwired to love God and to live in intimate communion with Him. He has redeemed us so we might be restored to the wonderful position of being His sons and daughters, part of God's family. God loves us with a deep and an abiding love. And so it hurts when we reject God's love because we consider something else more satisfying. It grieves God when we turn away from Him to seek our pleasure or satisfaction in other things. It breaks His heart to see His children reject Him and turn away from Him. Brings us to our second point, and it will consider God's compassion in determining to redeem us. The question is, what will God do when we rebel against him? What happens when instead of loving and serving God, we determine we're going to live life on our own terms? What happens when we reject his rule because we're determined to live life our own way? How will God respond to people who choose to love themselves over all else? In Genesis 6, we read of the Lord's response to the rebellion and wickedness of mankind. God said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. For God, this was not just an act of vengeance. Here we see the Lord responding in a righteous judgment. God is saying, enough. I made you, I own you, I provided every good thing you could ever want. I made a wonderful life for you, more wonderful than anything you could have ever imagined. Yet you reject me, you turn your back on me. God has every right to wipe out mankind, to wipe the earth clean. It seems like this would be the end of the story. But, beloved, it's not. Genesis 6, verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
in an act of sovereign grace, God puts his favor on Noah and his family. You know the story. They were chosen by God's grace to survive the waters of the flood with some of the animals in the ark. In the flood, God blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. But God preserved Noah and all that was with him in the ark. It's very important to note what happens after the floodwaters recede and the earth dries. God makes a covenant with Noah. Noah took some of the clean animals and birds and presented them as a burnt offering to the Lord. Genesis 8, 21 says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. What's remarkable about this verse is that the Lord acknowledges man's sinful state has not changed. He says that the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. To put that in the language of our confessions, we are deceived and born in sin. The Lord knows that mankind is not going to love and serve him. And yet he vows never to curse the ground because of man or to strike down every living creature as he did in the flood as a sign that he would never destroy the earth by means of a flood again. The Lord gave the rainbow. It's not just a sign for us, but also a reminder for God himself of the covenant he made with Noah and with all of creation. Why did God spare Noah and his family? If you keep reading in Genesis, you see that the Lord repopulates the earth through his descendants. But you also quickly see God establishing another special relationship, this time with Abraham. The Lord made great promises to Abraham about becoming the father of many nations. But he also made a special promise that it was through his offspring that all the families of the earth would be blessed. It was a promise about the coming Messiah who would redeem us from our rebellion and sin and turn our hearts back to loving and serving God. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Jacob. It's from their family that God raised up the people of Israel. Just like in the days of Noah, there came a time in Israel's history where God's people utterly rejected the Lord. They turned away from him to serve other gods. Instead of trusting in the Lord to care for them, they turned to various world powers and they made military alliances with them to feel safe from the attack of foreign armies. The people left God behind in their pursuit of what they thought would be a better life. They lived life their way. They did as they pleased. Hosea 11 tells us about the Lord's reaction to his people's rejection of his love. There was only one thing that would catch their attention. It was for God to chastise them for their sins. Hosea speaks of how the Lord planned to give them over into the hands of the Assyrians. Their cities would be destroyed. They would go into captivity. It was only when his people experienced the consequences of their sins 
that they would learn to see what it meant to live apart from God and from his blessings. God's goal was to call his people to repentance and life. Yet the most striking thing about Hosea's prophecy is that he reveals God's heart to us. In Hosea 11, verse 8, the Lord cries out, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim were cities that were destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah. God's heart bleeds at the thought of that ruthless king from Assyria coming to ravage his people. He says, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Why was God's heart stirred when he thought of the Assyrians coming to pillage and destroy his people? Where did his compassion come from? God's compassion is rooted in his tender love for his people. In Hosea 11, we see the Lord calling Israel his son, the one he took by the arms to teach him to walk, his son, whom he nurtured and cared for, his son, whom he loved. Think, beloved, of the words of King David when he heard of the death of his son Absalom. Absalom had incited a revolt. He tried to take the throne from his father David. He was self-centered, rebellious, unloving. And yet when he died, David was deeply moved and he wept. He cried out, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Even though Absalom revolted against his father, David continued to love him. He demonstrates a father's love for his children. It's a picture that helps us understand God our Father's love for his sons and daughters. Why did the Lord determine not to wipe out his people Israel? Why was a remnant saved? Because of God's compassion and mercy. Compassion is a word that describes the empathy and concern and kind-heartedness you have for another. When you show compassion or mercy to someone, you give them something freely, something totally undeserved. You do so without expecting anything in return. God spared his people utter destruction. His heart did not allow him to bring on Israel the punishment that they deserved. God spared a remnant of his people. He brought them back from captivity. He restored them as a nation. He granted them renewed blessings. Why? Because ultimately God's purpose was to fulfill the promise made to Abraham that through his offspring all nations would be blessed. God's plan was to raise up a redeemer from among his covenant people. That's the backstory to what we celebrate at Christmas, beloved. 
Mankind deserved to be annihilated at the time of the flood. Israel was so stubborn and rebellious, God would have been justified in wiping them off of the face of the earth. By nature, we share the same sinful hearts as those people living long ago. While we were hardwired to love God, the fall into sin changed us so that we're now wired to love ourselves. By nature, we rebel against God and we seek to please ourselves. It grieves God deeply. But God had a plan to redeem us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Think about what that cost God, beloved. We've spoken about how God considered Israel his firstborn son, the lengths to which God went to redeem him and prosper him. We've considered how God's compassion was stirred at the thought of bringing judgment on his dearly loved son, Israel. Yet God was willing to send his son to save us. God did so knowing that Jesus would have to suffer and die. He would have to suffer God's rejection. He'd have to come under God's wrath. Do you see the Father's love for us, beloved? How it cost him his dearly beloved son? Do you understand why God was willing to pay the price to buy you and make you his own? It's because of God's heart. It's because of his compassion and mercy. It's because of his deep love for us. God didn't want to leave us with sinful and corrupt hearts. He sent his son to redeem and restore us to righteousness and life. He sent Jesus to change our hearts, that we would no longer be controlled by selfishness and live for our own pleasures. In Christ, our Heavenly Father redeems and renews us. He changes us from the inside out. I want to quote that text from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15 again. Paul tells us that Jesus Christ died for us, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Part of God's purpose in sending his son was to renew us by working a new heart in us, a heart that is so thankful for his redeeming work that our greatest delight in life is to love God. A heart that is directed away from me and my wants and desires, which is focused on loving God and my neighbor. Beloved, if you understand the backstory, it makes the celebration of Christmas a joy and a delight. Amen.